0: Hey, this is Caesar, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org youngadults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Acts
1: 14, we're gonna read verse one through seven, and then we're gonna skip down to 19 through 23. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and spoke in such a way that a greater number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystria and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Friends,
0: oh man, I love being here with you guys. I feel like I said that every time I'm here, but I, I sincerely do. Like you guys are my family, my friends, and uh, it's a privilege to just honestly do life with you guys and. Oh, man, I've been so encouraged by your guys' faith. And actually, we'll get into that. Um, honestly, I'm really excited about this little mini-series as we jump back into um, some people going back to school or whatever, like maybe there's some transitions in life. Uh, and honestly, when we were thinking about this series and Caesar and I were talking about it and he was kind of working on it and praying about it and listening to what God was saying to jump into, um, he and I were talking about somebody else that would be really, really good to share. And uh, And as we were talking through that, it was so evident that our hearts were also excited about this topic. And so um, even this other person was able to share was like evident, it was like, wow, like we care about this. You know, we care so much about this. And it reminded me of a story Uh, when I was 10 years old. um, You know, when I was 10 years old, I honestly, thinking back and I was like trying to remember this moment and I was like, man, I had a deep sense of like eternity when I was a kid. Uh, the reality that um, there was like this heaven was like so real to me and that there was also hell and and that was becoming even more real to me as a kid like every single day. And I couldn't believe, like as a kid, I remember, I, I was thinking back, I can remember so many times, I can't believe I get to go to heaven, you know? Um, but even more unbelievable than that I get to go to heaven was to me was that there were people going to hell. Like, as a kid, I just, I, I, like, my heart was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, like, I'm so glad there's this heaven. I can't wait to be there. But like, also it's like, wow, people are going to go to hell. Like, it doesn't compute in my soul. It would, it was just breaking and it didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense that uh, there could be this amazing and awesome God who, uh, uh, who had loved and adopted and saved millions and millions of people into his family, but that there was billions of people that, that were not. And um, my neighbor Carter, uh, he was like seven years old, uh, and uh, and even though he was like three years younger than me, he had all the cool toys in the neighborhood. And so we hung out. Uh, uh, it didn't seem to matter to me that he was a few years younger because we'd be riding around on our electric razor scooters. You didn't want to have any of those when they were growing up. No, okay, just me. All right, uh, we'd, play, we'd play PlayStation Three video games. I was not allowed to play. Um, uh, and I loved that because my mom didn't know. And also all my other friends had PlayStation 2s and um, the PlayStation 3 had just come out and my, their parents would let them get a new one. Uh, and we'd be sitting there eating like dozens of fruit roll-ups um, from his magical like uh, sugar-filled pantry that if my mom also found about, out about, she would have never let me go back to his house. Uh, Love the fruit roll-ups. And so anyways, we'd hang out all the time at his house. His dad was like this super cool guy, wore a gold chain. He let us do whatever we wanted. It was crazy, you know? Um, so anyways, I, 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 loved hanging out with Carter, but Carter was different. Um, he didn't go to church like the rest of my friends. Um, we never really talked about God, uh, like ever, like, and, and, and even though he seemed like pretty normal in many ways and in almost every other way, uh, there was something that was missing from, from him in him. Like I could tell something felt like it was missing. And so I, as a 10 year old with this deep sense of eternity, I started to realize it was because he doesn't know Jesus, you know? And so one day I finally like got the courage to tell him about Jesus and, and I was so nervous. I remember it was Super Bowl Sunday. Okay. The Seahawks were playing the Steelers in Super Bowl 40 in 2005. Okay. Some of you weren't even born yet. Um, (laughs) And I had my mind made up that I was gonna tell Carter about Jesus. I don't know if it was like the Holy Spirit moving in me or it was my small group leader at church that morning or it was just my desire for everyone to go to heaven. Because when you pray as a kid, sometimes if you were like me, you're like, God, I just pray you would save everyone. Everyone go to heaven, you know? Um, I was determined. Carter stopped by the house, ran up in the garage. Uh, like most days when we would hang out and he came inside and was like, hey, do you want to hang out? And I looked at my mom, I was like, mom, can we ride scooters around him? She's like, yeah, you just got 10 minutes because we need to leave. Just like two laps around the neighborhood. So as we ran out of the garage, we jumped on. I remember mine was like this sleek silver with like fire, blue fires, uh, things on the side, you know? I was like, yeah. But you had to recharge it and all that good stuff. Anyways, um, I loved it. It went like zero to seven in like 2.8 seconds. Uh, it was great. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I thought we were awesome, rolling around our neighborhood, uh, and we were just talking about whatever like we usually did right and but i i could just feel this question like sitting in my head you know like so he's like going on and on and on and on and i'm just like this this question you know when like you 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 kind of pretend like you're listening to someone but deep down like there's this 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 re- repetitive question over and over and over again. you really aren't even listening you just want them to shut up so you can ask him you like it takes all the self control within you not to just to just blurt out what you want to say right well that's how i felt it was just this just sitting there. And, and then finally it happened. I looked at Carter rolling on the scooters. <laughs> Looks like a Segway, you know, so somewhere like this, you know. Uh, I said, Carter, you think if you died today, you'd go to heaven or hell? <laughs> 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 uh, whew, there it was. It was out there. Like I just that casual. Like, you think if you died today, you would going to heaven or hell, bro? And it just it, you can't bring it back, you know? And now today, there's like a multiplicity of evangelism strategies. And I don't know what questions or statements you've been coached to start conversations. But back then in 2005, that if you died in a car accident today, would you go to heaven or hell was like the premium grade A guaranteed pickup Christian salvation line at the time, okay? It was like nine out of 10, guarantee this person was giving their life to Jesus if you started with that, okay? So (laughs) how fast culture changes. Now, if you even assume like that someone believes in heaven or hell, it's like you come off as ignorant. Anyways, Carter, he took the bait. He said exactly what my 10 year old self wanted him to say. This evangelism, Caleb, he said, heaven. And I was like, oh, I got him now. And I was like, why? Why you think you're going to heaven, Carter? As I eagerly, (laughs) I wasn't that creepy, okay? It wasn't that creepy. Uh, uh, why do you think you're going to hell? It was more like, wow, why, you know? But in my brain, I'm like anticipating what I know he's going to probably say. And I've got like my 19 points lined up that I, like I'm like, I'm ready, you know? Oh gosh, I had him now. I was ready with the bridge illustration in my pocket. It was going to go down. Anyways, in this moment, um, Honestly, I was thinking about it a few nights ago. I was like, in this moment, I was like, I, was, I feel like I was killing it, you know? I was like, dang, God, this is going so much better than I thought. But now looking back, you know, side note, I probably was just more eager to con- get a confession of faith and prayer out of him that was probably not really an authentic encounter with Jesus that actually produces a transformed heart. But, but honestly, what's so cool is God uses our, our messy presentations or our, or our hearts to share his love and his story, even when we don't really get it right. So whether Carter out of fear of hell or the true understanding of his need to be saved, or just this, comply to this awkward, weird uh, neighbor friend conversation he was having, and he wanted me to shut up. He accepted uh, uh, Christ, and he prayed the prayer, and I led him through the prayer of salvation, sin, right? That all I knew at that time, um, that, that, that most of the evangelical churches would, would pray. And honestly, that's like... It's like, the thing I was thinking about was like, we should be celebrating that because Carter, Carter gave his life to Jesus. Um, and also we could spend hours dissecting like this case study of 10-year-old evangelist Caleb sharing his faith with cool neighbor Carter. Um, but <laughs> I really want to focus uh, on what really happens next here. Um, as soon as this like awkward prayer moment ends, which truly like side note, I'm I really was the other night, like sitting in, um, in the office I was at, um, uh, on the chair, kind of like crying, praying for Carter, because I was like, "Dang, I haven't thought about Carter in like 15 years," you know. I was like, "God, I don't know if that was real. I don't know if He actually was saved in that moment. I, 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 don't know like what a transformed heart really like looks like in the sense that, like, I can't confirm that He was saved or not in that moment, right? So I was just crying and praying. I was like, "God, I pray you just like that was real. Also, I pray if it wasn't real, that You're pursuing Him right now." And so that was so such a cool moment of like 15 years later. Um, What God does, the fruit of evangelism, right? You don't even realize it. But anyways, as soon as this moment was over, right, I smiled at Carter and I I pulled out my favorite line. I was like, the angels are throwing a party in heaven for you right now, bro. This is exciting. You know, that was like always the coolest thing to me as a kid when someone gave their life, just like you'd say that, it's like in the Bible. Um, Anyway, so I turned my scooter around and uh, I rode back home. And uh, uh, anyways, my family was in the car (laughs) waiting patiently, but also frustratingly because we are late for the Super Bowl party. And and what happened next is I I, I rode my scooter up in the garage, slammed it in there, sprinted back to the car, opened the middle door to our Suburban, and I jumped in and my whole family of like seven people in there. And I just unashamedly screamed, car's going to heaven, y'all, you know? And like, I just am so excited at 10 years old, you know? And I want to camp here for a moment tonight because, because I feel like, oh, I, well, I know, I feel like I've been tasked with opening the door to this conversation that we need to have as a young adult community. Where, where really, where is our passion for seeing people saved going? Like, where's that passion? Where's it gone? Like, I believe God truly wants to open the floodgates of our hearts here as Caesar just prayed and, and, and as we step into the scriptures here, I think God wants to open our hearts up to his desires. And, and although we're not gonna be able to, to cover exhaustively the nature of this topic in, in the scriptures because they speak to it all over the place, um, what I do know is that I, I, like I think that God wants to to remind us of his heart and I, I believe we can at least hit God's heart here tonight, and and, and he wants to interweave ours with his and lead us into renewing our desires and our thoughts in this extremely important eternal matter. Now, I don't really wanna ask this question out of a posture of condemnation because I'd be condemning myself. This is more out of just renewing conviction. But why has this eagerness to see people enter from the domain of darkness into the extravagant kingdom of light from true like spiritual death to like true unlimited eternal spiritual freedom from like being lost in their nature, their identity, their mission, their purpose to being found as they were uniquely designed in the image of God with the clarity of the eternal purpose that only can come from him. Where's that gone? That desire for the lost to be found. I feel like it's becoming really in many ways a systemic issue in, in the Western church. In our, uh, our country, Where growing up, honestly, when I reflect on that, it seemed like there was a lot of other problems in the Western church. There was hypocrisy, unwillingness to disciple or to really be there for people in their hard times, theological superficiality. And don't get me wrong, there was more problems than that in the church then. And there are some of those problems still exist today. But to me, when I thought back, at least there was such a gladness about us going to heaven and an eagerness to tell as many people about heaven as we possibly could from the past. But now it almost seems like there's an ashamedness to our destination. And we have to kind of start with this soft cultural norm to find common ground with someone. And then once we're kind of friends with them and we're like, we're social buddies, we can kind of warm up to some other topics that we agree on. And then maybe we can kind of hear their truth and then maybe they'll hear our truth. I feel like It's crazy how, just thinking this week myself, how I'm like, how have I gone from 10-year-old Caleb who just wanted Carter to know Jesus so badly and the joy that came from him, even his response to where it's like, oh, man, I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm, I'm battling on, on fronts that don't even matter as much, you know? It feels like I'm battling on cultural frontiers that I'm trying to win other people over in our secular society, um, when without Christ, it doesn't really even matter that much. Like I, feel like, I feel like our culture, this is not just me, but I feel like our culture can be uh, creating uh, a desire to win in these cultural battlefronts that are happening right now, which the problem with that, without Jesus being the central, without the gospel being central there, they're really just creating moralistic deists, um, which are basically people that, that do good because they don't want to be bad people. And the problem, isn't that, the problem is that moralism is not our answer. The church isn't seeking moralism. Moralism isn't the gospel, right? Um, and, and honestly, I love how God questions his article speaks to this on moralistic deism. It says this, the real problem is that moralism is not Christianity. Most people who hold these beliefs are likely to identify themselves as Christians when in fact, they're really just living to glorify themselves. Being moral isn't the gospel, See, like if I'm a good uh, person, it doesn't make me a Christian. And not being, like being a a Christian is being someone who's immoral, needing a savior who paid the price for our restored relationship with our creator and is renewing our, our eternal purposes again so that one day we get to fully enjoy relationship with him in eternity and that we get to give the glory to him and not to ourselves. And that honestly, by the power of his spirit, we graciously get to be placed within um, his family, so that we can live by His standards in obedience for, for for His glory and our joy. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so often I feel like, as Christians, we're fighting this tug of war over moralism in our society. And we can keep spending hours, we can keep spending hours fighting over these topics. And cause they're, they're like, I, I'm gonna read this cause this is important sense. We can keep spending hours fighting over these extremely important social, moral, economic, philosophical, and even scientific stances that truly shape the fabric of our society. But truly to what end? Because right now we're just being rejected, canceled, branded as ignorant and are losing our voice in society. Now, now hear me clearly on this. Like, this is really important. I'm not saying let's water down the gospel and the heart and the character of God to relate to our culture so they like us and we have a voice again. Actually, I'm saying quite the opposite right now. I'm speaking of returning to God's heart and fighting for people's hearts rather than just their minds, bodies, and morals. And instead of diluting the gospel with our social and sometimes even political and religious agendas, speaking or seeking to speak a pure and powerful gospel that doesn't ignore the problems of our society, but gets to the root of them rather than surface problems that we spend hours debating, even in the church or on social media. Before, not that I want to return to the past, but sharing our faith was central. Now proving our point seems to be the point and the main goal. I'm just simply coming to you honestly right now as a humble friend and brother in the family of God, trying to teach the word of God, asking this question, where's our hearts tonight? Like, where's our hearts tonight? Like, are we eager to share the faith that we claim is so central to our very existence and purpose and identity? Or have we become complacent or jaded or misguided? You know, when I think about eagerness, I think about a person that was eager to share in the faith, eager to share the gospel. I think of the apostle Paul from the New Testament. Like clearly God's character and the reality of the grace of the gospel and the urgency of the eternity coming was moving and motivating Paul every single day of his life. Now he was not perfect. We know that he shares about his weakness. He shares about his struggles. He even shares about his weariness. But still there was this eagerness that he clearly had that every day could be his last. And he wanted someone else to know Jesus to the point of his death even, right? Right? And so there's this one story that just baffles me when I read it. I remember reading about nine years ago or so in Acts and I'm just like, what the heck? This is unbelievable. And it baffles my mind because it goes so counterintuitive to what I live like, right? And it also compels my soul to God's heart, to this eagerness again. And so we already heard it tonight, Jen read it, but let's flip there right now if you have your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. I love this story. Now, Um, The Holy Spirit has moved um, Paul and Barnabas um, uh, to leave from Antioch, which Antioch was this huge hub of Christianity, right? And they, they, Barnabas and Paul were there in Antioch. It was kind of the central place where the churches were being spread out and planted from there. Actually, if you go just really quick, uh, uh, um, what's happening in this cultural moment is that Jesus has ascended up into heaven, right? The day of Pentecost has come. He said, now go and make disciples. And the spirit has come, rested upon the disciples. Now they, in that moment, preached the gospel and over 2000 are out of their number. And the church goes from like 500 people to 2000. 1,500 people in one day, right? And, and, and the gospel does exactly as Jesus promised it would do. It spreads. When the gospels preach, it explains our reality. So when people hear it, like, whoa, I, it was reality of life I was missing. So when you hear it, it's like, that makes sense, right? And the gospel also transforms our hearts, and that's what we crave, right? So the gospel is being preached, and lives are being changed, and, and, and literally the church is exploding in Jerusalem, and then people are being sent out and planting churches, right? But then persecution happens, so the church kind of like, is like, do we go underground, or do we keep going, but, but God continues to move even amidst persecution. People are dying left and right, but it doesn't matter. Like lives are changing, right? So like literally physical lives are being lost, but spiritual lives are being gained over and over and over again, which is so cool. The church is growing faster than it can die, which is so crazy to think about. And one of the people that was a part of persecuting the church was Paul, right? Also known as Saul. And, and Saul, Paul, he, he had that radical encounter with Jesus just a little short after a while that he was murdering Christians, right? Stephen, he was there approving of Stephen's murder, right? Acts chapter six and seven. And then Jesus meets him. And, and I think it's partially because of the radical for transformation that happens in Paul's life. He cannot help but in the discipleship, he encounters with Jesus and the other believers to just start sharing his faith. And it's happening left and right, left and right. And there's such an attunedness to the Holy Spirit. There's such an obedience to God. There's such an eagerness to know him and to follow him. And so the church is exploding. And Antioch is kind of this hub. Like, like a lot of people are being sent out there. And some of the, the believers, some of the elders are gathering and praying in Antioch. Actually, let's just read it. Chapter 13, listen to this. Verses one through three, I'll just read this. Now, they were in, in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the te- Tetrarch, and Saul. It's really important to stop where right these are like four different total social statuses, political uh, spaces coming from, right? You got Saul who was like a Pharisee, right? So like he's got that background. You've got a member of the household of Herod, right? A friend of Herod's, right? Like that's crazy because Herod was a part of the persecution, right? Um, and then you've got also different, like so many different backgrounds. I just love that about the early church. And I love that ultimately the gospel is that, that he, God transforms anyone from anywhere and brings them into the same family. And that's what's happening here. So while they were worshiping the Lord, verse two, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Now flip the page to chapter 14, right? So Paul and, and, and Barnabas are traveling. Some amazing, miraculous things are happening, right? Unbelievable. And then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 14, Um, verse 1, okay? So here we go. Now at Iconium, right? That's the city that entered together into the Jewish synagogue. Oh, pause real quick. This is really important. Paul uh, had this kind of system that he would do uh, when he would evangelize, okay? Like he had a plan in his evangelism, which I think is really cool. Like sometimes it's just spirit led that God just leads us to tell someone about Jesus or leads us to, to pray for someone. But oftentimes God uh, uh, also moves in us to think and strategize and plan and be strategic at work or at school, right? Uh, it's not always just like impromptu. And so um, Paul had a, a plan that he would go into from town to town, he'd go to the synagogues, right? When he'd move into a town he'd get there and he'd go to the Jewish synagogue and he'd reason with the Jews first from the Old Testament because he knew the Old Testament better than anyone. He was one of the rising uh, Pharisees. like He knew the the Old Testament in and out and he could reason the the fact that the Messiah was Jesus through the Old Testament better than anyone. So he would go to those synagogues, but oftentimes whenever the gospel was preached, which every time the gospel was preached, there's there's a response, right? And whenever there's a response to gospel, it's, it's either rejection or, or reception, right? Like you either reject harshly or even just nominally, like, ah, I don't know if that's for me, right? Or there's reception, right? A full-on reception, like I'm ready, I'm diving in, or like, I think I'm ready, you know? Whenever the gospel is preached, it demands a response. And so in these Jewish synagogues, that would be what would happen. Paul would preach the gospel to the Jews and some of them would respond by rejecting, saying, no, 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 you're, you're messing up our religious understanding. Just like the people would respond to Jesus, Right, this is not good. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're wrong. And some of them even try to kill him. Right, or some would respond in, in belief. Right, the spirit would uh, regenerate people's souls, and they would be added to the faith in the family of God. And they would be like, Whoa, Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so this happened town to town. Right, and then they go into Iconium. This to be the same thing is going to happen here. Verse one, they entered Iconium together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Praise God. Amen. Those people are going to get to party with in heaven, which is kind of cool. I mean, it's crazy to think about those people right there. We're going to get to see them in heaven. Anyways, verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, talking about Paul and Barnabas, speaking boldly for the Lord. They're eager to share the gospel who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done in their hands. So even though there's rejection, God is being kind to them and and, and, and allowing amazing things to happen. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. The Jews being the non-believing Jews when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat Paul and Barnabas and to stone them, They learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So they're preaching in the synagogues, people responding, right? Rejection and reception, amazing. Like salvation's happening. Like it's worth celebrating. Discipleship's beginning, more salvation's happening. Little like dinner groups are happening, right? Communities taking place and it's so cool. But then also there's this anger building that like this can't be true. You're ruining our city, you're ruining our area. You're you're, you're like, you're you're messing up our societal norms, our religious understandings. So get out right to the point where it get, Paul and barnabas they don't stop. So it gets so bad that they start to plot to kill them. And I don't know how, the Bible doesn't give us the answer on how it happens, but they hear of it. And they depart, they, they depart. They're like, okay, we feel like we need to move on to the next city. So they move to the next town over, right? The next two towns over, and we're gonna pick it up there in verse 19. This is what blows my mind, okay? But Jews from, but Jews from Antioch, while they're preaching the gospel, right? In Lystra and Derby. Uh, and Iconium, right? The same ones that were the, the ones that were uh, uh, um, stirring up the crowds back in Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds now in and Derby, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. <laughs> just think about it for a second. They stoned Paul. Like they didn't just like throw a couple of pebbles like this, hopefully this hurts, get out of here. Like they threw stones at him till he was covered in blood, right? To where he's probably unconscious, right? Because you don't suppose someone's dead if they're still like, you know, waving at you. Like, uh, hey, Jesus loves you, you know? Like th- he's non-conscious probably, right? Being dragged out of the city, lifeless. Like, like, I don't know how good they were with medicine back then, but they probably checked for the pulse or maybe they didn't. I don't even know if they knew that was, but he looked dead, okay? And he probably might've been about to die. And they drag him out and they just throw him out of the city. This was a sign of like rejection. Like this was like a very normal thing of like, uh, of disrespect of like, we no no longer accept you, right? Like that, to throw someone out of the city gates, that's what that was a representation of. This This is crazy. Like, this doesn't seem real. Verse 20. But when the disciples, which pause for a second before we get to the insanity of this, like what were they doing? Just watching, you know what I mean? Like, Like I I was probably, I'd probably be one of them. Side note, confession. I'd be like hiding behind some building. Oh no, that looks bad. Um, (laughs) Anyways, back to the point. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, he had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Like that is profound eagerness, right? Like it doesn't seem real and it just goes so contrary to what I do. Like it seems so radical and so impossible, but it just compels me at the same time. I'm like I kind of want to be able to do that, you know? Like what compels a man to be stoned to death, get up and literally be like, ah, I don't need a two week vacation. I need to get back in there because there's still people going to hell. Like he literally doesn't like, I I don't need an IV bag, you know, take me to the hospital. He gets up and goes right back into the same place they stoned him. He's like, he's not even worried if they're there or not. He doesn't go, he doesn't ask the person. He's like, yo, hey, did, do those guys like stoned me? Do they leave? Do they go back to Iconium? Wait, if they did, I'll go back to over anyways, you know? He goes right back in the city. So, I mean, maybe it's just easier, like, in that city, you know? Like, maybe, like, you know? But it really, when you think about it, it's not, right? What's going on here in these cities, right? You have false teachings, confusing philosophical ideologies, right? False gods, false deities, rejection of the gospel to the point of death. So, Paul didn't have it easier than we do. So, then why... why why was he so eager, and why does our eagerness sometimes fade? Why is our faith and sharing our faith decreasing? You know, I used to say to myself, "I think it's because I'm not really around enough believers, non-believers." You know, what I mean, like, oh, my friends are all believers, you know, like I don't really get a lot of opportunities because most of my people around me, like, are believers, you know. Well, honestly, I feel like when I think about my life now, like, it's not because of a lack of opportunity anymore. Like, I remember in middle school, literally at, at youth group, being like, "Hey." I got a prayer request. I just pray I'd be able to, to find someone to share my faith with, you know? And that was like a real prayer request at, at, at eighth grade. But now it's like, I got a prayer request that I would have less people to share my faith with because there's too many. Like, it's almost as if the amount of opportunity has created a numbness to share my faith. Like, the reality of how many people are not in Christ and are dead in their sins and trespasses around me have created a numbness and a complacency. So so maybe for some of us it's just like we're numb and we're complacent and we're tired, like we have too many things going on in our normal lives to care enough. We're just too tired or we forget or we feel kind of exhausted to share our faith. Or maybe for some of us it's just simply fear. Like it's just fear, fear of rejection or failure or maybe fear of not knowing enough. Like, I really don't know God's character. I don't know the Bible enough. I, I barely just came. I came to know Jesus like, you know, a year ago. Like, I don't know enough. You know, I remember working at Universal Studios in high school and, um, and uh, man, I worked with probably like 50, 60 people and not a single one of them were believers, you know? I was 16, 17 years old working at Universal. I worked in Jaws and um, yeah, right? They replaced it with Harry Potter, cool stuff. Um, <laughs> Anyways, I remember, uh, man, I, rem- I, I was like super sheltered as a kid. <laughs> and so working at Universal was like, whoa. Um, I got invited to like a club one night. I was like, I'm 16, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll get you in, don't worry. I'm like, okay, you know? Um, anyways, uh, man, the, the break room was like shocking to me. Like, I, I was like, I was kind of, I was like, I was like pumped. You know, I was like, I'm going to go to work at Universal Studios. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And then I get in that break room, I'm like, oh, man. I'm gonna just read my Bible and not talk to anyone, you know? But anyways, I met this one guy and I, I was, I, God has just kindly gifted me to love people and be hospitable. So like, I, I love being a good friend to people. So I started to make friends, you know? And so um, there's this one guy named Michael and uh, he was like 19, so he's like two years older than me. And um, we started to become friends and we played paintball one time. And so uh, we were leaving work one day. We were, we were clock out at the same time and we're walking out to the parking lot. And I just kind of feel like, man, I, I got stop. Conversation. I don't remember how it started, you know, but man, it was horrible. It was so bad. And you know when it's like bad, and you think I can fix this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're like, I know it's bad right now, but I promise if I keep going, it's going to get better. You know what I mean? And it only got worse. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just trying to explain the gospel to Michael, and we're sitting on this bench, and and he, uh, unfortunately for him, he didn't own a car, so he's waiting for his ride. So. <laughs> And so I'm like, I, I don't know why I didn't think it would drive him home anyways. Um, it was so bad. It was so bad, man. Like I could just feel it. and I, You know when like the person's eyes are glazing over and they're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And like, just because we're maybe friends, he's not like telling me I'm an idiot and like blowing me off, you know? And that just like discouraged me so much, you know? Gave me a fear to not want to share with any other coworkers. Because I didn't do a good job. I did it wrong or he didn't respond and... He didn't get saved, and so it created fear in me. You know what I love about Paul, like thinking about him for a second, is that Paul knew that the rejection of Jesus in eternity, right, when someone gets to, to heaven, was far more painful for a non-believer than for the rejection he would receive from a non-believer to him. And we forget that about the reality of this. You know, in, in Romans... Chapter 9, I had another thing that just so powerful, it shaped my heart. And I forgot about this until this week, so I'm so grateful for just studying God's word. Paul says, as he's writing in to the Romans, he says, Oh, how I wish I could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my kinsmen so they can know Jesus as Lord. Like Paul was so eager for people to know Jesus that he even wrote, I would, I would love to be cut off from Christ so that all of my, my Jewish brothers and sisters could know Jesus. That's how badly I know how, how much I want them to know him because I know how sad it is if you don't know him. Paul had tasted life without Christ. Christ. He had tasted purpose without Christ. He had tasted eternity without salvation and he didn't want that for anyone else. And I forget what that's like sometimes. I forget what it's like to not be going to heaven. And I need to remember that sometimes, that the rejection that our friends, coworkers are gonna face because of their choice to reject Jesus on this side of eternity is so, gonna be so much more painful than the way I felt with Michael universal. Also, something that one of you guys reminded me of that I was so grateful for, reminded me last night that success is not defined by the result, but rather our obedience, right? So like you can't fail when you're sharing Jesus, right? You fail when you don't share God's heart because there's a lack of obedience there. Also, there's other things that can hold us back, not just complacency or numbness or fear, but maybe just jadedness or just feeling you don't know enough and misguidedness or shame. I'm too sinful. I've messed up too much. God doesn't want to use me right now because I need to get right first. I think shame holds a lot of us back. I know for me, that's something that holds me back from evangelizing and discipling. That's something that holds me back from feeling like I'm being authentic in my faith is that there's this shame sometimes in my heart and my mind. It's like, man, I just don't feel like I can right now. I don't even say that out loud, right? It's just a subconscious shame. And I think God wants to free us from that. That's the whole point of the cross, right? That there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ so that we don't have to live in shame so that we we don't feel like we're held back from sharing our faith. So, I mean, what's the answer here, right? I think when you look at Paul's life, when you look at Jesus' life, when you look at the other believers' lives who were willing to give up their lives for the sake of the gospel, when you look at each other's lives, like I see this in here too. This is not just in the Bible. I see this in this community. I see this in you guys. That we, have, we need a greater view of heaven to overcome our, our lack of desire. Like a, a more heavenly uh, a mindset to renew our minds with. I get so caught up in my earthly means and purposes and goals that I sometimes forget what I really live for and whom I'm really a citizen for. Like it's so easy for us to get caught up in our earthly goals that are, that are good and purposeful, but we need to ask God to renew our minds with a heavenly mindset, with an eternity mindset, right? As Ecclesiastes says that he's written eternity on our hearts, right? And ask God to renew our minds with that because I know for me personally, I get so caught up in even work in the church that's just earthly work that I can forget about heavenly things as Paul says, to set our minds on things above. I think we need a greater view of heaven. I think we need to ask God to open up our minds to the beauty and the glory of the kingdom of heaven, our home. And when we see that as our home, we'll start to desire more here on earth for other people to go home with us one day. Also, I really think the answer is that we need a greater dosage of God's heart, the Father's heart, to compel us to a deeper desire you know, God is a pursuing God. Like our, 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 our Father's heart is to pursue the lost, right? Jesus said, I, can, I cannot speak on my own accord. I can only speak on what the Father tells me to say. And then a little bit later, he says, I have come to seek and save the lost, right? So the Father, Jesus can only speak what the Father's telling him to say. And he says, I have come, I've been sent by the Father to seek and save the lost. Jesus' heart was for the lost, And so we need to know that if we want an eagerness, we need to return and ask for more of a heart like Christ. I love what Romans 10 says that, I'm just gonna read it, speaking about the lost. And you may have heard this verse so many times. It's so beautiful though. It says, for everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in whom they've never even heard about? How are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of Jesus. Like what a gift it is to preach the good news of Jesus. How beautiful our feet are to carry the gospel. That God would put his treasure in us in jars of clay. That we could carry it. And that that was Jesus' heart. We get to have his heart. He's already given it to us. He's not holding it back. He's not like, man, once you earn it, you can have it. He's already given us his heart. So we just need to ask him for a more a dosage of his heart that he would expand his, our hearts to be like his. I, I used to think that was a weird prayer, but I, I've started to realize that my heart is limited. Like, I, I feel like there's only so many people I can love. Like, I felt this so uh, uh, majorly one time when I was, I was going to a new country I already had fallen in love with Guatemala and the Dominican Republic and being mission trips there with kids and young adults. They're like pouring out my heart there and preaching the gospel there. And I was going to a new country and I remember just going, I don't even know how to love these people. And then while we were praying, I just felt like God said, Caleb, I can give you a heart for people you don't even know yet because my heart is for them. So God can give us his heart if we ask for it. He can expand it. Not that we have the capacity to be perfect and love everyone. That's what I'm saying. But his heart for people. And also, I think, lastly, um, that we need to, to walk in the power of Jesus' resurrection and not our own strength. Like Jesus gave us his spirit to empower us, to empower us to preach the gospel. So often I rely on my own giftings, knowledge, and strength to try to tell someone about Jesus. And I'm really not relying on him. I look at Acts and I look at what happens here with Paul and Barnabas Man, that was a reliance on the Holy Spirit. That's not a reliance on yourself. That's a reliance on the work of Jesus that he resurrected from the dead. And so, man, like Paul knew if Jesus could resurrect from the dead, then I can feel this physically defeated right now, but it doesn't mean I can't go back in and start preaching the gospel again. So honestly, just a few practical things to kind of close up here. I was told practical things are good, so I'm putting them in here. (sighs) I'm not always the best at practical. Um, One was uh, loving non-believers alongside of believers. Sometimes I try to do it alone, you know? I like this like secret mission thing, you know? It's like, oh man, I'm gonna go to this restaurant every Tuesday night and have dinner there and that person gets saved. And that's special, you know what I mean? But man, there's something about when two believers commit to seeking and loving on someone who doesn't know Jesus. It's pretty cool. That's why Jesus sent out the disciples in twos, not one by one. Another one that has just blown me away, practically speaking, is put stories in front of your eyes. Like we were made to experience stories, right? And a lot of times we only put our own story in front of our eyes. So how are we gonna love people and share our faith if we only have our story in front of us? But man, when someone's brokenness is sitting right here, your heart breaks because God's heart is inside of you when you just willingly put stories in front of your eyes over and over again, you start to have God's heart more and more and more and you're compelled to love people the way Jesus loved them. So find stories. Seek out hard stories. Don't shy away from them. Look for them. And God will give you an eagerness to share our faith. Another one, this is really practical. I can't believe I'm saying this. Schedule it. (laughs) Truthfully. How often do you schedule thinking about non believers and investing in them? We really don't do that. We schedule other things, right? Like, what if just like once a month we just like put in our calendar, like, I'm gonna pray for and I'm gonna just kind of walk around Publix, not weirdly, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> you, know I mean? like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you can make it awkward or weird, right? Like, I'm actually grocery shopping, but I'm grocery shopping with intention, okay? looking for, listening to the Spirit, then maybe I could talk to someone who wants to talk. Maybe you go get a massage with this, this guy, right? Because clearly he wants to talk about Jesus. Massage envy, winter garden, right, Caesar? No? <laughs> no, I don't know. Schedule it. I don't, you can schedule it. Anyways, also this one's so good. Remembering that the gospel is for believers as well as non-believers. That's so encouraging. Like it's not just for the lost, right? The gospel's for you and me every day. I need to be preached the gospel every day. I have gospel amnesia every day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you preach the gospel to me? Yeah. If you're gonna preach the gospel to me, I promise you, you'll know how to do it to non-believers around you in your workplaces and in your lives. Yeah, so there's a couple things. There you go. Anyways, um, when I was originally tasked in preaching this topic, one of you guys, whom I love, shared this brilliant idea of having like a panel and sharing some testimonies of evangelism and sharing faith, because there's a lot of stories in this room of people's lives being changed, that people in this room have shared their faith. And honestly, I was so excited about that, but just because of time, uh, I didn't really have time to really properly prepare that and do that well. So honestly, if your desire, if you're sitting here and your desire is kind of to step in more, like God's already starting to stir your heart and you're kind of ready to be in more obedience, you're like, kind of like, why are we still here? Like, let's go, you know? like first things first, like just go to him right now and just, just ask him to increase that desire. Like it's desire that produces habit a lot of times. So ask God to just produce that desire and you come to him humbly and his spirit will guide you. Like seriously, don't let like ping pong tonight or twisty treat or, or, or whatever's kind of come after this to draw your heart away from the desire you might be starting to feel right now that the scriptures and the spirit of God's giving us. And then secondly, back to the point about what I was saying about someone asking to maybe share stories tonight. There are amazing stories of inspiration and transformation and and, and honestly, just incredibly gifted individuals in this room that would love to talk to you more about it and connect with you. So if you're kind of getting eager to share your faith more, there are people in this room that would love to talk to you about it. Like they, they bleed sharing about their faith. They probably would be like Paul if they were stoned, they would keep going. You know, like I'm not quite there yet, but some of the people in this room are like that, okay? And you might even know them already, okay? So go to them. They would love to pray with you, cry with you, listen to you, challenge you, share scripture with you, dialogue with you. Like, like talk about what's holding you back, fear or apathy, they would love to. There's plenty of people in this room. And honestly, this is not by any means of like exalting any individuals, but rather acknowledging the spirit and the gifts that he's, he's emboldened and given passion to. So I'm just gonna acknowledge a few people in this room that I think that if you if you know them, and you you, God's putting this on your heart, connect with him. So uh, if, if, I na- raise, if you raise your hand, if I, I, I name you real quick, John Ludwig, where are you at, John? Yeah. Lewis Nash time. Where's Lewis at? Yes, Lewis. Lewis Nash time. Uh, Michelle Clark, where's Michelle at? Michelle. Michelle. Where's Fitzempty at? She left. Okay, she's preaching. She's evangelizing out there somewhere. Uh, uh, Who else did I write down? Um, uh, Serena. Where you at, Serena? Yeah, Serena's back there. Um, Blaine, where you at, Blaine? They all sit on this side of the room. What the heck? It's like, there must be a non-believers on the- No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Um, Seriously, if you saw them, raise your hand, connect with them. But I I also want to make this point really clear. Honestly, the greatest evangelist in this city might be sitting right next to you right now, and I didn't name them, okay? Uh, So if you know someone who clearly has God's heart, in this area and they have a passion for sharing their faith and it just oozes out of them. Like don't limit yourself to these four people, okay? Like I don't know everyone in this room. And so God might've gifted different people in this room so tremendously with his spirit to share their faith. And so it might be the person sitting to you right next to you. It might be you. And so like, I, I just only know them and that's who came to mind. And so honestly, let's share testimonies. Let's share stories. Let's let's encourage and inspire one another by our love for one another and by our love for the lost. And that this community would, would add to it It's number because people are being saved. So I don't know where you find yourself tonight. I don't know if you're complacent. If you are, ask the Father to fill you with eagerness and he will. Are you jaded like I can be? Ask the Father to soften your heart, to be like his sons. Jesus was never jaded and he will give you a compassionate, broken heart. Are you misguided? You feel like you don't know enough? Ask the spirit and he will give you wisdom. Ask God that he will make it evident where you're lacking in knowledge and give you direction and provide people in your life that will disciple you in the areas where you feel like you're lacking. Are you fearful? Ask the father to give you a confidence in his presence and enabling power by the spirit to share with a humble yet certain heart of the majesty and glory of God. Let's pray. Father, man, this week was convicting for me, Father. I I wanna share stories of times where you literally are saying, here's your opportunity to live out what you wanna preach about. And where I just like, something took over fear, complacency, lies. So God, I just thank you that there's no shame that you are sovereign, you're the king of Kings, you're the Lord of lords. And so when we miss opportunities, you don't. So we trust you right now. We trust you that there are any person that does not know you that you want to draw unto yourself, what you will draw unto yourself, whether we're obedient or not. So this is not out of like this obligation that someone's gonna go to hell, God, if we don't do something about it because you will seek and save the lost even when we don't. Jesus, you made that so clear when you came to this earth. When the world was failing, you came to save it. But yet there's such a privilege, God, that we get to partner with your heart such a privilege that we get to share in your heart, that we get to share this faith that we claim is so so certain and so central to us. And so God, I pray for a deeper longing for your heart. I pray for a, a, a more ferocious confidence in the gospel, God. You resurrected from the dead, Jesus. That is unbelievable. There is no political ideology. There is no social norm. There is no scientific explanation. There is no other religion that can trump that, God. And we cling to the resurrection, not our strength, not our abilities, not our power, not, our, not our, even our desires, God, but to you and your will and your desire and your accomplishments and your dreams and your goals. We cling to, we cling to the hope of Jesus. And we thank you for other examples of that in this room, other people in our lives, God, God, I pray that we would just bind together and be a community that is so humble and yet so confident in the gospel. And God, I just pray specifically for a moment for those who, this is their last Thursday night for a few weeks or months, that you're sending them, God. I think you're sending God you sent Paul and Barnabas. You knew that was gonna happen in Iconium and Lystra and Derby, but you sent them anyways because you were adding to your number through Paul and Barnabas and you're sending people out of this room back to schools, back to workplaces, or even just to our homes tonight. And we're getting to be sent by you to be your ambassadors. God, I pray you would bless those being sent. I pray you'd protect them being sent from fear, from lies, from sin guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that they would find brothers and sisters wherever they're at, they would join them and encourage them. And God, in those other places, more numbers would be added to your family, God. Thank you so much that we're here in this place, in this city. We get to be part of redemption in this community. May it be in this room, in our own homes, in our workplaces and then wherever else you take us. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.
1: Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you wanna hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.